Our, uh, our scripture reading today is from Isaiah 11, 1 through 5. That's found in page 575 in the Bibles under the seats. Verse 11 starts, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see, or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Good work, buddy. Thank you. I can't believe you can read that tiny font on your screen, man. That's impressive. Hey, well, good. So, welcome to Advent. Uh, before we start the Advent thing, we are Grace Life Bible Church. We're excited about these things. In fact, today, during our 11 o'clock time, right here together, we're going to gather and just have our elders lead us through different things we're thankful for based on our values. Knowing God and His Word, like what are you thankful for related to that? Experiencing and extending His grace and growing in healthy relationships. Maybe you've had a good year. There's something really that you're thankful for relationally or impacting others far away or near. So those are going to be going, that's going to be going on at 11 o'clock. So if my sermon gets kind of boring, you can just kind of think and plan ahead like what you're going to say at 11 o'clock. Anyway, kind of kidding, um, but not really. Anyway, so this, this is what we're doing. So we're experiencing, like, extending God's grace. Uh, we have our values. Those values should percolate up in our redeemed hearts, our want-to hearts, want to pursue Jesus out of security, out of acceptance instead of shame and performance, you know, wanting. And so then, then that, that bubbles up and uh, we, make, we make healthy disciples instead of the, the shoulds and the oughts and the shamed, you know, that kind of disciples. Um, they're out there. But anyway, that's, that's not us. So um, life groups is a thing here. This is a little commercial for life groups. Um, we, we've been going, going through this Embark thing, and I reached out to, to the leaders of our life group, small groups, and um, really some neat stuff going on. And so each, each group are coming up with their own spiritual goals and their own relational goals, unique to that group. So it's not like the church is like, you will do this, and, and all. It's not like that. So I just wanted to run through some of these things. So one group, this is their relational goal, create a safe and fun environment where you can connect, encourage, serve, build authentic relationships, remove barriers to extending grace, praying fervently. That's a great relational goal. That sounds like a fun, safe group where you can open up. Spiritually, this group wanted to be intentional and accountable to abide in his love, share Jesus with others, encourage each other uh, while they grow deeper in their own faith, and share in joy. So that's great. That's a great group. Another one, uh, Relationally, they focused on encouraging each other, caring and sharing openly, and then spiritually increase hunger and dependency on God, becoming stronger prayer warriors, and watch where God is working. So that's great. And another one, focus on friendship and support. Uh, as circumstances happen, that there's uh, friendship and support there, and then spiritually encourage and grow as we learn about Jesus. Uh, I think this is one of the last ones. Supporting one another, deep friendships, accountability, 
spiritually cultivate the spirit of thankfulness in life. This is a good season to do that. All seasons are, but encourage each other and then prayer. So, um, oh, and then friendship, food, and fun, discover, discovery, Bible study, serving, and praying. So those are some things that we, um, th- this is the culture and the climate where the, these life groups are where you can, you can experience grace as you open up, and you can extend grace as others open up, right? And be accepted right where you are. And, and, and we're seeing that in these different life groups, sharing our stories. I heard one comment, like, I've known this person for 30 years, and I never knew that about that person. And so that's just a, a chance for greater intimacy, and uh, we celebrate that. So that's fantastic. So uh, here again is our little thing for today at 11 o'clock. We're going to have a Thanksgiving time right here. Um, but we are starting an Advent thing, all right? I'll, today I'm going to give an overview of Advent because it's, it's a word that we don't use much. Um, today is an Advent Jesse Tree introduction, Isaiah 11. That's what Brian read. Starting next week, we're going to go through just the basic themes of a typical Advent. You know, hope, Abraham's hope, faith, Ruth's faith, Josiah's joy, Jeremiah's peace. So, um, and then leading up to Jesus' birth. So that's kind of what we're going to do. So Advent means arrival, appearing, and so the first advent we read about in the Gospels, Jesus showed up. That's what the whole Christmas is about, the first advent, okay? But there's a second advent that's future to us right now. We read about that in Revelation. So there's, there's advent one, the Gospels, Christmas, advent two, Revelation, and okay, a whole bunch of stuff going on with that. So we'll, we'll get into this, and um, here's the thing, though. This, this is a book it's called the Advent Jesse Tree. It's a simple little book. I don't think anything's longer than one page. It's a small book to begin with. So um, I found a place, a, a PDF, and so I made a, made a QR code. And so you can scan that, and it'll take you right to the readings. It's a Dropbox folder, and so scan that, or I think it's, some, uh, it's in the newsletter. But, but there's five readings per week for five weeks, 25. And so the idea is, starting tomorrow, you can scan this, and you can read with your family. It's, it's designed to do with kids. If you don't have kids, that's fine, but uh, it's, it's, it's a good opportunity. There's actually an adult, you know, little devotional, and then a shorter little kid devotional. Um, so you'd read that, and this next week, it's on, you know, like creation, uh, sin, fall, a flood, Noah, stuff. And so then next Sunday, I'm going to preach on one of those topics, which happens to be Abraham. The following week, there's five more devotionals, and the sermon will be, you know, on the theme of one of those that we've just read. Anyway, so that's the story. It should be fun. Looking forward to that. I'll explain the tree thing next week. We'll just, we'll just kind of keep going on there, all right? All right, so anyway, QR code, moving on. Why did Jesus come the first time, first advent? Something to do with sin, Right? Something to do with forgiveness, reconciliation. That's, that's why he came. He came to provide deliverance. But really the question is, are you interested in the kind of deliverance that he's offering? Or do you, do you want a whole other kind of deliverance? You want economic deliverance, political justice deliverance. But he's like, I, I, I'm offering spiritual deliverance. And the deliverance he offers impacts other areas, but it's primarily not economic 
military political deliverance. It's primarily a whole other thing, and I've, I've walked through this before. We'll cover it again. In that culture, they didn't get that. They're locked into one kind of deliverance, and Jesus is like, um, I came for a different reason. Are you interested? So this is well where we're going to go. So Advent 1, he came to provide spiritual deliverance. Advent 2, he's coming to judge the living and the dead, which I think includes us. Kind of a broad category, okay? So what happens to us in the judgment of the living and the dead, the second Advent, largely depends on what you do with the first Advent, his offer of forgiveness. They're connected, okay? So I ran into this quote. I'm going to kind of use this as a guiding theme for today. It's from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. The celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, who look forward to something greater to come. Not, if, you, if you read that and you're like, poor, well, I, I'm not poor, I got lots of money. That's the point. You are poor. If that's how you read it, it's spiritually poor. And that's the whole problem with, with Jesus, the apostles, and, and, and our culture. is like, I, I have everything I need. So anyway, I, I am troubled in soul. I am imperfect. And, and, and sometimes we, we, we can focus on that and, and grow in despair. And, and our souls can be troubled. Anyway, uh, Advent, this is, why, this is why we celebrate it because Jesus is coming. We celebrate it because we are all troubled in soul. We are all imperfect. And uh, something's coming in the future. His name is Jesus, and he's going to deal with this. And he defeated sin, death, and darkness. And that's good news. So, um, like I said, Advent is all about arrival. First Advent, Gospels. Second Advent, Revelation. Um, here is a graph. I'm a visual person, so I had to get it on a map. You know, here's the Old Covenant from creation to return, Genesis Nehemiah, um, the New Covenant, Gospels, New Covenant. So the first advent is Jesus on the cross. The second advent is way down. The, it could be tomorrow or it could be like in a thousand years, but uh, it seems probably not like a thousand years anymore, right? <laughs> anyway, um, you, you and I are right here. So that's kind of how, how that works out there. But the first time, listen to this, the first time Jesus appeared, number one, he appeared in a time of great oppression, turmoil, corruption, hostility, and war. That was the context in which he came. The second time he appears, he'll come in the middle of great oppression, turmoil, corruption, hostility, and war. <laughs> yeah, see, there's some continuity there, right? And so um, let's, um, let's go ahead and get into uh, uh, verse 1 here that Brian read for us. Um, and so my, my thing here is like, who is Jesse and why are we talking about a tree? I mean, if you don't have much background in Bible church and stuff, you come to church, you're visiting, and you're like, Trees and roots? What? Advent? I've never heard the word advent, and this guy's talking about trees and roots and branches. Is this a gardening club? Anyway, so there shall come forth a shoot or branch from the stump of Jesse. A branch from his roots shall bear fruit. So it's metaphorical, right? The idea here is that um, there is hope. And in verse 2, this branch is a hymn. It's a person. It's the Messiah, Okay. This is an Old Testament prophecy looking forward to the arrival of the Messiah. I'll define Messiah in a couple minutes. Um, but Jesse was the father of David. And the idea of the root, it, it's where the growth comes from. It's, it's this, this person is coming from the family of Jesse, David's line. Okay, you go to Matthew's genealogy and you see that's what happened. Jesus is from Jesse, David, and all the other people. So that's what he's talking about. 
It's interesting it doesn't say from David's family, kind of like royal. It's from Jesse's family. Now, Jesse was just like an average, like, don't know anything about this guy. He's just a guy and has lots of sons. And one of his sons, you know, go pick your... He's, and so the, this Messiah is going to have humble origins, not royal origins, um, even though he will rule. And so there's hope. Um, but again, in that culture... Because of some things I'll, I'll lay out here, they're expecting political peace, military deliverance, uh, retribution even, godly retribution, to fix all the injustice. So in the context of, of great oppression, turmoil, corruption, hostility, and war, can you not see how they're going to hear passages in the Old Testament that talk about peace, prosperity, deliverance? flourishing in the context of oppression by Rome, that's just going to shape how they understand that, right? They're, they're not, in fact, if you lived in that first century and you said, I think this is talking about spiritual peace, so be um, reconciled with God, and not, not about that, you would be like kicked out of the synagogue, because that's not, that's not where people are. Okay. What about the Hamas-Israel war today? How many, and it's just heartbreaking. It is just absolutely heartbreaking. But, but again, that context, it, it's not entirely different from other pages of history with the Jews. How do they experience that and not pour their hearts out to, to the text and think in terms of political deliverance and earthly justice, right? I get that, and there is a need for that, but, but that's not entirely what Jesus came to do. And so we, we want to make sure we're on the same page with uh, the, the, the deliverance that Jesus offers. Again, they do relate, but it's, it's not primarily political. Okay. So, and, and if you talk about a stump, I mean, a shoot shall come from a stump. There's nothing glorious about a stump. You know what I mean? I've cut down lots of trees, and I've never like, wow, look at that stump. Let's take a picture of that stump. It's just a stump. Humble origin. A remnant. So, so at, at Isaiah's time, Babylon was a big deal, and, and God's using Babylon to, to discipline Judah, and he's saying, you're, you're going to get hit pretty hard, but there's hope. There's a humble stump that from which will come growth towards redemption, and, and that's the Messiah, okay? All right. Um, Paul even touches on this passage in Romans uh, 15. We'll deal with that in like March or whatever. I don't know when. Um, Paul says, again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, and even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, and in him Gentiles will hope. Revelation, this is what Jesus says. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about the things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David. Isn't that great? Says Revelation 22. So, the Messiah is a person, the root of Jesse is a person, and um, they're the same. All right? All right, um, yeah, and then Acts 13, check this out. Talking about Old Testament, when Saul the king was removed and David kind of replaced Saul. When God had removed Saul, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified, I have found in David the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. So that's tying together the root of Jesse with Jesus the Messiah. So, um, Hopefully that we, we understand that. All right, Messiah, 
we, we talk about Messiah a lot, and maybe that's a term you're not comfortable with. Maybe you're not, It means anointed one, okay? In the Old Testament, somebody was anointed for a special purpose or a task or a role, all right? And so, anointed one. In, in, in Greek, the word for the, the same word is Christos, Christ. So quite literally, Jesus Christ is Jesus Messiah. So have you noticed in the, in the text, if you search like your Bible thing on online or your phone and you go with the Christ, that's a phrase. You know, um, hey, I think I found the Christ, the, the Messiah. So the Christ is the same thing as the Messiah. So Jesus Christ is Jesus Messiah. That, that's the meaning of his name. Um, so the roles. So, so the Messiah is anointed for a role. Typical roles in the Old Testament were a prophet, priest, and king. They were anointed to be a prophet, anointed to be a priest, or anointed to be a king. Um, Elijah anointed Elisha to be another prophet. Aaron was the first priest. He was anointed. And then uh, Samuel anointed Saul and David as kings. And so none of those men were able to deal with troubled souls. They, they could provide political freedom for a season, but they couldn't provide deliverance from sin. And so their role is representative of a, of a greater prophet, priest, and king who can deal with troubled souls and imperfections permanently once for all, okay? And that would be Jesus. All right. So the, the New Testament goes on and talks about uh, the proof of the Messiah, uh, resurrection. Uh, that's, a, that's, that's pretty good. <laughs> that's hard to top, the resurrection, right? Um, in fact, Paul in Corinthians it's like, if you can undo the resurrection, the whole thing falls apart. That's how significant the resurrection is. So, Jesus fulfills the roles of prophet, priest, and king. He, he was a prophet. He preached the word. He was a priest. His death atones for sin permanently. And he's also a king. After the resurrection, he received authority from the Father. So, so that's who the Messiah is. What does the Messiah do? Um, he, he rules... They thought he was going to rule politically, um, but he had a different, a different game plan in mind. Um, the first advent to um, provide forgiveness. All right, number two, verse two. This, look, look at the seven. There's seven descriptions in this tiny little verse that describe this shoot of Jesse, this, this root and this Messiah. The spirit of the Lord will be on him, the spirit of wisdom. Spirit of understanding, spirit of counsel, spirit of might, spirit of knowledge, spirit of fear of the Lord. And that's, that's, that's supernatural. It's not a person here. Again, this is, this is over and above Saul and David, um, all those things. And it's a person, okay? Him. Verse 3, his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what he hears. And so we've talked about whenever uh, in the past about we did uh, some proverbial stuff ecclesiastes and fear of the lord i mentioned that it's not cowering in fear uh, like there's a separation uh, in fact it's it's a term of intimacy and full acceptance reverence that leads to obedience okay there's a change in action because of my awareness of who he is but it's in the context of acceptance and joy not of risk that i could be uh, kicked out if I do a little tiny thing wrong, all right? So this, this Messiah is going to make decisions and judgments based on reality and not rumors. 
part of the problem back in this culture is that the poor, they had no money to bribe the judges. And that's just how it worked. I, I, we got friends in Kazakhstan and Kyrgyzstan and uh, over there. Um, and you get pulled over by a police officer and, and it just, you, you bribe, that's how it works. You bribe them. And one day my missionary friend was like, I'm so tired, I'm just not going to do it. And so he just sat in his car like, may I help you? And the, the, the guy just kind of stands there like waiting for money. He said, I waited for an hour. <laughs> he just sat in his car for an hour. And finally the cop just, like, just gets all in and just leaves. But he's just like, I'm tired. Anyway, the point is that's how it works in some cultures. And the poor people don't have the money to do that. And so verse 4, with righteousness, the Messiah will judge the poor. He will decide with equity the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. Look at this. With the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. That's a theme we don't have in Christmas cards, right? Um, but ruling with righteousness and equity, is, it, that's a new thing. These people haven't seen that, all right? So, he came in a time of great oppression, corruption, hostility, and war, and he's providing justice and equity, but also judgment for the wicked, right? Verse 5. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. It just is not garments. It just means he's characterized by righteousness and equity and faithfulness. That's, that's how he's defined, okay? All right. So let's back up and look at this first advent. Like, why, why does Jesus come in the New Testament? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John starts most of them with the, the beginning of, of Jesus. And, and uh, why do we have that? goes back to Genesis. Adam sinned. That's... Sometimes we have this view of sin that we do bad things. And sin is much more than us doing bad things, according to Scripture. It's, it's so deep in us, it's kind of like who we are. Let me say it this way. It's a bit uncomfortable, but when we're born on this planet, you are broken and you can't fix you. There's nothing you can do to address what's broken within you, except turn to Jesus. That's the message of the gospel. So many people turn to a whole bunch of different stuff trying to fix that, but the, the, the nature of the sin problem is so deep, only redemption by Christ, God's perfect son, can deal with that, all right? So um, the whole Old Testament is marching along. The plan is to get a place for God's people. God's people is Israel. The place is Palestine, so that from God's people can emerge a Messiah to deal with sin. So I've said this before and kind of tongue-in-cheek, but starting at Genesis 3 is the sin. They fall in sin. Every page after Genesis 3 is part of the story of getting the Messiah on the earth. We've got to have a place. We've got to have a family, a nation, a clan, and a person, and here's the Messiah. Okay, so that's, that's the nature of that story. Sometimes you're reading the Old Testament and you're like, could you make it shorter? <laughs> you know what I mean? I get it. Anyway, um, so sin blocks our relationship. Jesus came in the flesh to provide uh, reconciled relationships, um, but he doesn't force his salvation on anybody. Here it is. You, you, can, you can take it. You can reject it. Uh, that's, that's our choice. But what you do with his offer in Advent 1 kind of determines how Advent 2 is going to go for you. Just saying, that's how it works, okay? So um, I love Luke 4. I'm going to go to Luke 4, um, 16, 17, 18, 19, if you... I'll give you a second to get there on your phone. Luke 4, 16. Classic. Um, Jesus is quoting Isaiah 61. This is just really, really good. Luke 4, 16. He came to Nazareth. 
where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where it was written. Now, there's no chapters and verses, okay? So he found the place where it's written. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This, this is spiritual freedom that he's talking about. They hear it through the lens of the Roman occupation, corruption, violence, hostility, bribery, and all this stuff. Um, so they expect something different. But let me, let me just unpack a couple things here that are neat. He's from Nazareth, right? Now, this, the word in Isaiah 11, the word branch, is nezer. And some people think that... that the branch Nezer and Nazarene are kind of connected, that Matthew is trying to like, hey, he's, he's from Nazareth, and the prophecy was a branch Nezer. I don't know. Anyway, it's one of those things. Maybe they were looking at the text too long and not enough coffee. But anyway, it's possible that they're connected, all right? He, he says he went on the synagogue on the Sabbath, as was the custom. Um, the way the synagogues worked in the New Testament is pretty interesting. Um, the only synagogue that Jesus read at was Nazareth. It's the only synagogue he could have read at. He taught at many, but only you, you could only read at the synagogue that you were a member of in your hometown. This is why this is his hometown. He could read there, okay? So it's just a, a, little, a little thing. So a stranger could attend any synagogue, but you couldn't, you couldn't read there. That was, that was for uh, members only. What does he read? He reads, he doesn't say he, he got the Old Testament. He just got a scroll of Isaiah, and, you, you know, um, local synagogues back then didn't have a scroll of every book in the Old Testament. They only had certain scrolls. Maybe, maybe, you're, maybe Nazareth only had Isaiah, Habakkuk, Deuteronomy. That's it. Very common. In fact, it's estimated that if you had all the scrolls of the Old Testament at once at that time in history, it would be worth $750,000. Because they're all handwritten, takes forever. So how does this work? How do, these, how do these people know God's word so well? Well, here's how it works. Our hometown of Nazareth, all we have is three scrolls. I want to study Genesis. Well, that, that's over the mountain or the river 20 miles down. So I have to pack up, go to that synagogue, visit, rent a house, buy food every day, painstakingly read through and memorize, literally memorize Genesis, however months that takes, and then I go back home to my synagogue, and I recite it, and I teach it to my community. I have now shame welling up in me from, from how, how soft I am. You, you know what I mean? I mean, this is normal life to them, and I'm like, uh, I'll have my devotions at a stoplight. You know what I mean? Or something crazy like that. Okay. Kind of kidding there, but you know what I'm talking about. So that's, that's what they do. But the best part here is in, in a, uh, Luke 4, he says, after he read that to them, he says, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, and he sits down. <laughs> wow. Push the buttons, will you? Like, what are you talking about? And then they, 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 they freak out. But um, the, the point is, I am here to provide good news to the poor, liberty to the captives, sight to the blind. And so um, 
That's what, that's what they're talking about. I think I've pointed this out before, but Acts 1, we've, we all probably have heard of Acts 1.8, which says, you will receive power and the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the earth. And it's a great mission verse, and it's kind of like a drop in the water. You've got Jerusalem, and then the regions of Judea, Samaria, and then all the earth. And, and there's a lot of, but we, we never really look at the verses preceding that. It's shocking. Acts 1, verse, that's Acts 1, verse 8. Verse 6 says, and this is after his resurrection. Okay, he's resurrected, and, and um, they're like, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They want political power. Are you going to restore the kingdom? Can, can we get the power now? Because we've, we've been with you for three years, and I don't know what you're doing with, with this whole passive thing about letting them kill you, but we got to go. We've got to get on the program here. Are you going to do it now? Restore the kingdom? They want power. They want political power. And that sets the stage for his comment. Oh, you, you, want, you want power? You'll get power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about spiritual power. <laughs> Even after the resurrection. <laughs> and can you imagine how heartbreaking that is to Jesus? He's like, Father, what, what, what am I doing here with these people? I mean, they, they don't get it. Are, are, you, are you sure this is the plan? He, he, he's not doubting it, but I, I would be like, is this really going to work? Anyway, the Spirit of God is in them, and it does work. It did work. It works with us. We're just as goofy as these people were, right? And so uh, we'll claim that. All right, so uh, that's why Jesus came. He grew up. He went through the teenage years, brutal teenage years, uh, as the son of Joseph and Mary. His mother was known for being... Uh, an adulteress that comes up in a conversation, and um, his fam family thinks he's crazy. Religious leaders think he's crazy. Super alone, misunderstood, betrayed, killed. But then the resurrection. He rose from the dead. And that was his first advent, and a lot of passages talk about that. The second advent, now the second advent is ahead of us, and um, he promised to return. If you evangelize and talk to somebody and said, you know, God loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life, it, you're probably going to get some pushback. Okay, so you, you believe in God. You think he's good. Well, have you read the news? The world's blowing up. It's a dumpster fire. If God is real, this stuff wouldn't be happening, which is a very intriguing assumption. The assumption of that statement is my comfort dictates my belief in God. If I'm comfortable, then I will believe there's a God. But I'm uncomfortable, and so I don't believe there's a God. Because if there is a God, he should serve me. This is our cultural voice, okay? This is where, this is where things are going. In fact, 2 Peter 3, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers died, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Nothing's He's not doing anything. What, what is this talk about God? All right? If, if God is in control and he prescribes this world, I'm not interested. That's the thought of many people. Okay? For God to be in control means that we're comfortable. I saw this on the news three days ago. If you're listening online, you can't see the slide. It's, you know, Megan, uh, one of our, uh, America's uh, soccer players, says championship injury, proof there isn't a God. She said, 
Her injury is proof there isn't a God. If God is real, she deserves to not be injured. That's just how many people in our culture think. And honestly, if, if I'm honest, sometimes I think that way. When something bad happens, it's like, well, wait a minute, God. I'm on your team. <laughs> Why does my mountain bike get stolen? What is that? How come my neighbor wins a Harley Davidson? True story, he won a Harley Davidson. I'm like, not him. I don't want the Harley to sell it, but anyway, I'm just saying. Things happen in this world, and we're, and we're exposed to injustice, and those are trivial things, but what, great injustice and, and relational stress. It takes, it takes faith to believe that God is who he says he is and that he's coming back in the climate in which we live. We really need to get our head in God's word and understand the, the context of, of Hamas, the evil that's present what God's plan is for the Jews, the church. I understand those are separate entities. We'll get into that Romans 9, 10, 11 in January. But, but um, if you slide into the cultural message of our comfort, driving your worldview, that's where you end up. How could God do that to my child? How, could, how, how come this could happen at work? I serve God and this is what he does for me. We have commodified God. I do this, I get that. It's like a vending machine in our culture. That's not how he works. So, so it's not about our comfort, it's about his kingdom. And, and the sooner we get our heads around, I am here, I am disposable for his kingdom, that's the first step in understanding accurately suffering and injustice and all kinds of evil. It, it, that's, that's the first step. There are many steps after that. Um, we should probably do that next summer. Anyway. Okay, Jesus is coming to judge everyone in the world, the living and the dead, and to bring in a new heavens and a new earth. The world we have, we're not finding the new heavens and new earth, are we, on our own? You look at the news, how's it going, finding the new heavens and earth? Not well, all right? And so there's a lot of Old Testament prophecies, um, Zechariah, Amos, Jeremiah, raising up the booth of David, a fountain to open up for the house of David, rebuilding the house of David. There's, there's hope talking about the second advent, um, what's coming up here. But listen to this. I want to close with this. At some point in the future, listen carefully. At some point in the future, a host of nations will gather to attack and eliminate Israel. Uh-huh. When Jesus returns to earth, he will set out to defeat that organization. Here's Zechariah 14. Behold, a day is coming when the spoil taken from you will be divided your midst. I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem. God will gather the nations to fight Israel at Jerusalem, the city shall be taken, houses plundered, women raped. Half of the city shall go out in exile, the rest of the people shall not be cut off from the city, they're trapped. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations when, as when he fights on the day of a battle. Wow, that sounds like CNN this morning at 8 o'clock. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. And then after that, it goes on and it says, On that day his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east. I should have a map, but it's just, just outside of the wall of Jerusalem. And Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley. Now the Mount of Olives doesn't go east and west. It goes north and south. And so geologically this is a whole other weird thing. It's not like some natural thing. It's just completely different. And you shall flee to the mountains. You shall flee from the earthquakes. And the Lord my God will come. My Holy One's with him. So, Mount of Olives is where he preached uh, the um, Olivet Discourse. And it's where he ascended after the first advent. Very 
um, special place. So, Advent 1, he came to offer spiritual deliverance. He came in a time of oppression, hostility, corruption, and war. We are in a state of sin. We need his advent to be reconciled to God. He offers it for free, faith in his son, and then we are reconciled to him. And not only that, he gives us, as we saw in Romans, he gives us a new nature. Not only that, he gives us his indwelling spirit 24-7. As I said before, this is a good deal. <laughs> Probably want to take this deal. Advent 2, he will come to judge the living and the dead. So, we celebrate Advent because we are troubled in soul. We have burdens. We, you can't look at the news and not be crushed. It keeps you up at night. I mean, these images and these stories, I mean, it makes you feel guilty about, about hey, let's go out and have lunch. It's okay, but, but, but how, how do we, pro anyway, I'm just saying we're troubled in soul, not only for that, but by, our, by my own sin, that, that like Paul said, it just, it just like a magnet that pulls me in the wrong direction. I am poor and imperfect, and I'm looking forward to the Savior, the Messiah, to come again and wrap it up and, um, and deliver. All right, so... These next five weeks, we're going to be going through the story of getting to the Messiah, the story of the first advent, Christmas. That's, that's, that's what we're doing, right? Start with Abraham, and uh, Toby and I will shape our sermons around these devotional readings that we're doing. So hopefully you can enjoy that. If you have kiddos, that little book, there's some little paper. They're, they're kind of basic little symbols. You can cut them out, photocopy, and hang them on a tree. Or you can go to Hobby Lobby and spend about two days making cool stuff, all right? That, that works. My wife did that once. Anyway, maybe I'll bring them. All right, so let's wrap it up here. Um, what are your expectations of the Messiah? Do, do, you, do you have proof that he isn't in control because you got an injury on the soccer field or something, right? Something like that? Whatever it is, what do you expect? What do you think of when you have spiritual deliverance? Do you need deliverance from your own troubled soul? We all do. Are we aware of that? Are you afraid of the coming judgment? You can turn your fear of judgment into a celebration of Advent by focusing on who Jesus is and what he's done. All right? You do not need to fear God's judgment the second Advent if you are related to him through the first Advent. Right? Then we delight in the fear of the Lord. We welcome him. We open our hearts to him. We walk with him every day. He finds dark corners and he gently cleanses those. Right? So, um, so he's good, and I pray that this Advent season we will move towards him with open hearts from a position of security if you've believed in him and not fear and, and performance. So, Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace. It is, it is amazing. It's hard to get our hand around, and, and so often we fail to really live that out with those closest to us. It just is a, a foreign concept. We're not really wired that way. I pray that your spirit would work within us and just uncover more layers so that we can extend that grace that we have received. Amen.